What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle and Grind podcast. I am one of your hosts, Noah Bloomberg from Anyat River Forge. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Ryan Copley from Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks. Our Hello. guest today is Matt from... Burger's Blades. Matt Berger Six. from Burger's Blades. Bur- okay, so I thought it was Burger. I didn't want to mess up the pronunciation there, so, you know. All good, man. <laughs> so Matt Berger is here with us chatting. Matt, how are you, dude? Dude, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We'd love to uh, love to talk to other, other knife makers. BS for a little while. Get to know some other people in the community. It's always good. Uh, Matt, let's just start with your last week, man. What have you been working on in the shop? So this week is, uh, it was actually a big week for me. I do an annual uh, fundraiser, so I adopt a family every year. Then I raffle off a knife, and they take all that money, and then I actually buy all the gifts for a family. So this year, we wanted to go a little bit bigger, so we actually are supporting two families. Uh, so tonight, we'll do a drawing for the knife. I did a chef knife, and uh, let's say over the last, so we've done it for three years. This is the fourth year. Over the last three years, we've raised $7,500, and as, nice. of, as of yesterday, we were around like 2K, so we figured we could do $1,000 a family. Um and then anything on top of that, last year, what we did was random acts of kindness. So like me and my family, we'd go out to dinner and then we'd leave like, you know, a hundred or $200 tip or, you know, drive through a, a drive through and throw somebody a hundred dollar bill. Uh, so pretty much we have enough for the families at this point, whatever happens from now until seven or eight o'clock tonight, that'll be random acts of kindness. And that's pretty much my whole week. Um, did finish up a few knives that I had that were orders. Um, that was kind of you know, procrastinated and waited to get the night going for the raffle. So most of my time was spent on that, to be honest with you. Damn, dude. How do you gotcha. pick the families? So we actually, my wife has a, a very successful photography business. So she has a very big following. She has like 70,000 followers um, on Facebook. So we just pretty much, we throw it out there say, Hey, do you know a family in need? Uh, so typically it's just somebody nominating a family that they know. So a lot of times these, it isn't even somebody that says, Hey, I need some help. It's, you know, this guy says, hey, this family, I know them. They're not going to ask for any help. Uh, this year is probably one of the biggest years. I think we got, i say 12 to 15 families that needed help. Um, so we were able to help the two. Um, and then there's another business around here that was looking for some families because they couldn't find anybody. So I sent those over to them and said, hey, if there's anybody in here that sparked your interest, let me know and I'll, I'll make that connection for you. That's super cool. Make sure your wife shares this episode. Oh, I definitely, I, I definitely will have her do that. Trust me, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's super cool of you guys, though. You know, um, mm-hmm. better man than me. I, I don't think I've ever done anything like that. It's one of those. I mean, I got three kids, so it's like, uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm like most people, you know, I came up with hardly much of anything in our family. So at this point, you know, if anybody were to help, we're we're trying to help some people, you know, it's not much, but at least it's one thing off their plate for Christmas. Am I loud again, Noah? Hey, you're a little loud. Yeah. Okay, let's try this. Put this old screen back up and I'll move the mic away from my face. Um, yeah, I grew up. I grew, I grew up pretty poor and I remember my mother always being stressed around this time of year. Like to the max. And I think that's part of why I don't like holidays anymore. Um, gotcha. Probably has something to do with it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like as a kid, 
kids, even though as parents, we don't think they see everything, but they see everything. And they can tell when we're stressed and they can tell that certain times of the year we're more stressed than other times of the year. And for sure. So no, I totally it's super cool of you to to help uh relieve some of that stress on some people. Thanks. Yeah, yes. absolutely, man. That sounds super great. And it sounds like it was really successful too. So that's pretty awesome. So this comes out on Tuesday. So by the time this episode airs, you'll already have done the drawing and that'll all be over. Is that correct? Yes. Yep, yep. Okay. We're gonna pick We'll pick tonight, so here in a couple hours, get off here, go through and do all the fun stuff of writing everybody's name down, and, you know, that stuff takes forever, but after that, it won't be too bad. We'll just, uh, I think what we're going to do this year, because it it actually, you know, you can imagine, it takes some time, because the one family has five kids, and the other one has four, um, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to get some friends, and we're just going to kind of divvy up this year and say, hey, here's X amount of money, you take this kid, I'll take this kid, and then we're going to kind of try to divide and conquer that way we can get the presents quicker and, you know, instead of taking how many days to go shop for all this. Sure. Yeah. That, that could be extremely time consuming. Mm, right. For sure. Man, that and must be that, some pressure too. Cause it's hard enough picking presents for your own kids, let alone kids. You don't know. Well, it's even easier when you don't know the kids. Cause it's like, Oh, Hey, this looks cool. I'll just buy it. And you just kind of like go off the cuff. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I, and the one family they did they did have a list, so that'll be nice. The other family didn't. You know, it's like my kid two of my kids are getting older, but younger kids are so easy. It's like you know, you walk into Walmart and they want everything. So you just walk through there and grab some stuff. And it's not about the, the quality, it's more about the quantity at that age for, for some of the kids. Yeah. Nerf guns for, sure. for the boys and dolls for the girls. I'm lucky sure. now. My kids are teenagers. I just give them cash. Nice. I'm like, here you go. Yep. Yeah, and then they can buy whatever they want. Yeah, it's easy. It's it's so easy for teenagers. It was I I feel like the hardest age to buy presents for kids was age like nine to thirteen. Yes, totally agree. Because yep, yeah, because they're all they're into the fads and the trends, and they you know what I mean. And we're not up on that shit. So like. You never know. They like different things day to day. Yep. I know it's, it's, it's tough. Cause they're like, they tell you one thing and then three days later, like, no, I want this. And you're like, come on, we <laughs> figure out what you want so we can get this done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, my, my oldest is kind of that way. He's always been very, um, uh, I don't know what the, the he goes from one obsession to the next. So he, he hyper fixates on one thing. And it usually he gets lasts, that from. Yeah, gee, I wonder, right? Uh, <laughs> me and my oldest really, uh, we can really communicate very well because we're very similar individuals. Um, so it's really difficult because you're buying presents for him and you're trying to buy him, you know, at least like a month in advance. Well, by the time that rolls around, he's already on to the next thing. So it's right. it's rough. <laughs> right. It's weird how kids... Uh grow up in the same house with the same parents and they turn out so different. Like my older son, he loves money. He doesn't like spending money. He doesn't like buying anything. He likes having money. So he like, he still has his hundred bucks. I gave him last year from Christmas. Just chilling. Jeez. Just sitting there. <laughs> He's probably got birthday money from four years ago. Wow. He That's won't impressive. tell me how much money he has saved. 
he his it's like a focus of his he just saves money my other son he fucking he gets money it's gone v bucks on fortnite freaking t-shirts whatever you want you know what i mean he he doesn't save money at all it's kind of funny but anyways yeah, that's exactly so Matt, how, long you, uh, how long have you been making knives? So I made my first knife, if you want to call it a knife, in was it 2000. I would say 2018. It wasn't anything, man. It was a, a file. And I had a grinder and I made it, you know, I just put it together. And then it's like kind of like set it aside and I'm like, oh, that wasn't too bad. And then I'd say like in 2019 is when I really started started making it. It was one of those things like. I had the grinder, showed my buddy, and I'd started making some other stuff. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, I've got a 2x72 Grizzly. He's like, if you want it, he's like, you can use it as long as you want. I'm like, seriously? He's like, yeah. And then once I got that, it was just kind of like, I couldn't stop, man. It was like, I'd watch YouTube videos at night. You know, my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just, I'm watching videos, trying to figure stuff out. And uh, so then in 2019, kind of transitioned, I... I'll be honest with you. I, I was in a corporate position for seven or eight years and uh, worked there, worked my way up. My wife worked there. She loved it. I hated it. She left with her own business and it got to the point where like, that's all I did is I worked. I took my computer. I had my phone. And one day my wife looks at me and she's like, she's like, I can't stand to be around you. I'm like, what? She's like, I can't stand to be around you. She's like, you got to You got to do something. And I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that I was that consumed with work, you know, like we'd go on vacation. I'd take my phone, my computer, like I'd be on my phone, like, you know, if we're, we were at Disney one day and I'm on my phone, like working in a, in a line. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to work. And she's like, put that shit down, you know? So it got to the point where one day I had enough and I quit. And I mean, I was, I was a senior recruiting manager. I had like 52 indirect reports. I mean, it was a, it was a good job. Like it, it was a job that a lot of people wanted, but like, I grew up like working with my hands. So like sitting behind a computer for eight to 10 hours a day was just like, it was like torture, man. So left that and I was going to start a company that didn't work out. I actually started working on my house. Like I remodeled the whole kitchen. Like I tore down the studs, rewired it, jacked the floor up. Then I went to the bathroom and then I got to the point where I was like, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, man, I don't know. And so during that time I was like making knives, like just on the backside, just for myself. And, exploring it and seeing what I could do. And then one day she's like, why don't you sell your knives? I'm like, I ain't selling these. They look like shit, you know? And she's like, just make five and sell them. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm not fucking selling these things. And she just kept on me. So I made five. And at that time I started a, uh, just like a part-time job, put them up and they sold like in a week, all but one. And then just slowly I started a Facebook page and then, you know, I was getting some orders and then a guy I knew had a company. He's like, hey, will you come work for me? So I did an interview with him, got the job. And it just kind of exploded. It was it was this craziest thing ever. It's like I was there for two weeks and I had I had figured I had like six months of orders of knives. And so I went to my wife and she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, man, if I could do this, this would be freaking awesome. She goes, well, this is your opportunity. Go for it. It was uh, like October, November of 2019. And I haven't looked back since, man. It's just, it was absolutely crazy. So you've been full-time ever since then? Yeah. Yep. 
Nice. So, so you were at that part-time job for a total of two weeks and then, and then just quit and went straight back to knife making. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, I will say though, the nice thing with is I know the guy he's super cool. He's like, he was totally understanding. He's like, look, if it doesn't work out, he's like, come back. He's like, I'll take you in a heartbeat. And every time I see him, he's like, how's the knives going? I'm like, they're going good. He's like, damn it. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of nice. You know, I've got, I've got that backup, you know, if something does come up and things just kind of dwindle, you know, I could always go back there and I could probably make them, you know, part-time and do that. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I guess I'm blessed, man. I just like, I want to do this forever if I can. Sounds like you got a nice lady. I know a lot of wives, including my own, who would not be like, go for it. Yes. Yes. My wife is super, super supportive. I'll be honest with you. If it wasn't for her, there's a lot of things I would, I wouldn't do. Like, you know, I'm very like leaving a good job. Like that's just unheard of, you know? And, and yeah, she's definitely supportive And her. I mean, obviously her business is a very well-established business. So having that, you know, it puts more pressure on her. Um, she actually has two employees. Um, so, you know, it is nice having that there, but it does put pressure on her and, you know, as long as we both can do it, like my shop over here on this side is, is when we built a new shop for her, she's her studios on the other side. So there's like days where she has people coming in and out every 15 minutes. And so like, I'm over here and I, I can't do anything, you know, cause if she's got a newborn baby over there shooting, I can't be loud. So it's just, you know, just having the flexibility of having your own job, you know? So if I got to come out at eight o'clock at night, I can work out here. It's no big deal. You know, having that flexibility. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we heard that uh, we we heard that you have a, a pretty well tooled out shop. What uh, what kind of tools you got there? So yes, I do. I my first year, I'll be honest with you, I didn't make shit for money. But once again, my wife's like she let me pour the money back into the business. So like I've got a tire hammer, and that actually she bought for me. Uh, I told wow. her I wanted it. Yeah, yeah. Did you, my wife's badass. So I bought that from. Uh, Dave Custer down in Kentucky. Uh, that was back when he was doing batches. I don't know if he's doing that right now. So I was able to drive down because I'm in Ohio. I drove down. Me and my buddy picked it up, brought it home. And uh, crazy how awesome that is. I've got a Broadbeck 2x72 grinder. Um, my first real grinder that I bought myself. I, I'll be honest. I don't even know the name of it. It was something K-R-A-E, something creation. And I have that. It's just kind of a – so I do have two grinders, which – obviously helps a lot. Um, and I've got even heat. So like my first year, I just pretty much just dumped all my money back in there, you know, cause it was like, if I'm going to do it, I want to be able to, the heat treat to me was the most important. So like, that was one of the first things I bought. Cause before, when I first started, I literally had a, a coal, uh, for grills, you know, like the little round thing. Yeah. So I had like a, a blower on that and then I was blowing in there and then I was quenching in canola oil. And then the more I was learning and stuff, I'm like, all right, I got to get an oven. I got to get the right oils. Um, you know, cause it's just one of those things. Like I told my wife, I'm like, if I'm going to be selling these, like I want to make sure that the heat treats what it's supposed to be. Um, I'm not saying that they're not, you can't make a good knife that way. Cause I did like, that's how I first started doing it and they were hard and they held an edge. And, uh, but the biggest thing to me was just dumping the money back in for equipment. And I know a lot of guys that are making knives that are better than mine that don't even have half the equipment I get or I have right now. So um, kudos to those guys. 
But it, it sounds like you're thinking of it from like a business perspective where all of that stuff is depreciation tax write-offs and you get, you know, you're getting that money back and it's offsetting tax debt from anything you sell, um, which is the smart way to do it for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. You know, it's it's funny, like I never had a business. No one in my family owned their own business. And then once you start doing taxes and, you know, you get a good accountant and they start telling you the stuff that you can write off and you're like, what? I'm like, all right, I'll write off anything and everything they're saying write off, you know? So. Oh, yeah. I, I've i been looking into it because this year is the first year I have to file like my income from knives. And it's crazy. My shoes, I bought a pair of shoes a month ago. I get to write those off because I wear them in the shop. Everything I do in the shop, the fuel for the shop to heat it. Um, it's crazy mileage for driving around to get stuff. Uh, it's really crazy. I share the same mindset as you though, when it comes to heat treat ovens, because, you know, heat treat formulas like you get from New Jersey steel Baron or out of the knife engineering book or wherever, they all have very specific soak times. You know, they don't say from 1425 to 1525 for as long as your forge can hold that temperature, they say 1425 for 10 minutes, you know, and that that's why I built an oven because, and I wanted to do stainless, but because you need, like, I feel like you need that level of accuracy and that's not to shit on anyone who doesn't have an oven. <clears throat> There's tons of guys out there heat treating in their forges doing spot on heat treats, but, for me, I, I just needed that extra level of like security. Yeah, well, for sure. And it, it's, it's just that level of confidence because most of us, I mean, we, we stand behind what we put out there, you know, any, any blade that I put out there, if there's a problem with it, I'm making you a new knife and I'm part-time. So, I mean, that's a lot of time and money that I'm putting into to the things that I'm putting out. So that's, I mean, that's one of the, main reasons I bought a heat treat oven recently was because, I mean, I had it dialed down pretty good with my forge. I had the, the thermistor in there so I could monitor the temperature and I was doing soak times and, and everything was, I mean, I was getting solid heat treats um, just based on the performance and the testing that I was doing. But at the same time, it's like, well, if I'm really serious, it, it makes sense to go that extra step to be a hundred percent confident in what I'm making. Yeah. It's a lot easier to do batches out of an oven too. Exactly. It's so difficult. I was struggling doing batches in my forge and like messing with fire bricks for the door and all. I mean, every time I was heat treating, I was cussing it saying I was going to buy a heat treat oven. I finally did. And actually, speaking of which, I want to take a second to talk about that because I've actually gotten a few messages asking me about the heat treat oven that I bought. So the heat treat oven that I bought is made by Paragon. The inside is four by eight by 14, which is a little smaller than what a lot of people like. But for me, I don't make any knives larger than 14 inches. And I'd say probably the majority of us probably don't. I mean, there's sword makers out there and there's people that make, you know, giant brisket knives and stuff like that. But for the most part, we're making stuff that's under 14 inches. So there was a couple of factors that went into it, but I think the biggest factor was the price and the fact that I knew that it was a quality oven because you can buy cheap heat treat ovens that are kind of off brand that I've seen out there. Um, but after talking with a few different people in the community, including Lawrence um, from Maritime Knife Supply and other people that have had ovens, um, the Paragon was 
basically presented to me as like an equal choice between a Paragon or even Heat, depending on your personal preferences. Um, but this heat treat oven is set up with their top of the line controller. It's fully programmable. It's uh, Wi-Fi enabled, so it's pretty high quality. It's just in a smaller oven. But the fact of the matter is, is that the oven is thirteen hundred dollars. Which that's not bad. Well, it's not just not bad, but I mean, if I had built the same oven that was larger in a heat, if it, in an even heat or one of the higher higher end Paragon ones. I mean, you're talking three grand for all the same features. The, you know, the, it doesn't have solid state, um, controls, but it has the the door switch. It has the ridiculously programmable controller and all the other stuff that, that people want. It's all in one little package. And, um, you know, definitely we're not sponsored by Paragon or USA Knife Maker, but USA Knife Maker is the only place where you can buy this oven because um, it's a Knife Dogs heat treat kiln. So if you just Google Knife Dogs heat treat oven, this will come up from USA Knife Maker. And I got the thing in like four or five weeks. It was super fast. And it, I'm serious. Like it was 1300 freaking dollars. And it came with like a free blade fixture. Um, we talked on a previous episode about kind of the snafu that happened with the color and everything else, but their customer service dealing with that was top of the line. They got back to me. I was satisfied with everything in the end. So um, for anybody out there that's thinking about getting a heat treat oven that are, you know, in the beginning stages of their career, I, I don't see a better option. You're getting a quality Paragon oven. You're getting all the features that you need in the controller it's a little bit smaller oven size, but I am planning on buying another oven at some point because there's no, I don't, I don't see a bad thing in having two ovens because you can have one tempering while you've got one up to quench temperature. If you're doing batches, I feel like that's actually a huge advantage to have multiple ovens. So later on I'll buy a, you know, a 28 inch long kiln or something and just set it right next to this one. And Hell yeah. uh, go for the big and go for the 48 double barrel. The Why big, not? The big boy. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm I'm making more knives. I can do stainless now, so I'm being more productive. I am increasing my capabilities, and I can work towards a bigger oven if I want to later on. But for right now, this is a fantastic oven, albeit baby poop brown, because I still haven't painted it yet because it's cold. But uh, there you go. I just wanted to take a couple minutes because people were asking me like, well, what was the oven that you bought? Like, well, tell me about it. So there you go. Now you know all about it. I do recommend it. I've done a few different heat treat cycles with it. It is excellent. It gets up to temp quickly. It holds temperature so freaking good that it drives me nuts waiting for it to get back down into tempering temperature. So yeah. you don't have wild heat gonna, swings was, on yours? I was going to ask you about No. No, mm. and, and, and uh, so I talked to uh, Jeremy. Actually, shout out to Jeremy because he helped me program it initially because um, I was trying to figure out how to program this thing, and I could not figure it out. There, was, there wasn't really any like concise videos out there. There was some long ones that I would watch for 30 seconds, get frustrated, and then turn off and move to the next one because I have the attention span of a small flea. Uh so I talked to Jeremy, he helped me set up the controller. And from what I've heard from him and from other people is it, if you are able to control your ramp rates, 
you can control those temperature swings a lot easier than if you're just firing on all cylinders, you know, all the time. There are certain things that you want a full ramp rate and there's other things that you don't. And these are all things that I didn't understand before, but I kind of do now. So, and then that helps me. I get, I, I have a 10 degree swing in my oven and I was under the impression it was normal. I haven't had that issue. And I, even Jeremy was telling me about some swings that he's had with his. And so I've been double checking everything because I have a little laser thermometer. Um, so I've been double checking stuff and it has been right on every time. So let's put it into perspective for the listeners. Cause I'm sure a lot of them don't have ovens and they probably been mulling around building one versus buying one because it is possible to build them. I built three or four of them now. Um, so your oven was 1300 bucks. It's 14 inches deep and it has all the bells and whistles. Yep. My oven's 14 and a half inches deep. And it has just a basic Ober instruments controller. I probably spent, I would say, $600 building it. If you count all the steel, everything, the bricks. If somebody was not fortunate enough like me to have a place locally to buy those bricks, I mean, you could be adding $200 more onto that. So you're only like 500 bucks shy of a factory-built oven at that point. So, yep. That's worth mulling around too. Well, but the other thing is, is that if you're building your own, you can build it to your size specification, whatever you want. But again, you're just, you're not getting the customer service that you're getting from Paragon. You're not getting that higher quality controller. And right. there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for the time that it takes to go into all that um, building and everything. How, do you have an estimate about how much time it took you to build your first one? The very first one, it took me probably, I'd say at least 40 hours, maybe more. I'd say probably 80 hours. And wow. then the most recent one, which is the one I'm using now, the big boy. Let's see it over there. Yep. Uh, I did that one in probably 16 hours. Yeah. So the guys that are going to be trying to build it, I mean, it's going to be their first time. So it's going to take them that 40 to 80 hours to build it the first time for sure. Yeah. And if you're making your own coils, there's a lot of math involved in like figuring out how much power you want to draw, how big your chamber is, how bit, how, how to spin the coil up and make it like there was a lot that went into it. It just happens to be that I love that process and building shit. Um, but for a lot of guys that might not be the route they want to go. Yeah, I was going to ask that, like, you know, after after the fact, once you got it built, like, was there a lot of going back and tweaking, you know, like, or once you built it, was it pretty much right where you wanted it? Uh, no, like, uh, there's issues with my oven that people who bought an oven wouldn't have, like, I didn't do the channels in the brick deep enough, so my coils stick out from the brick a little bit. Um, if you don't put in enough staples when they get up to like stainless temps, like, you know, 1900 and above, they'll droop. So like if you look inside my oven right now, I've got a coil on each side that's like drooped in on the wall. Mm. And as long as as long as they don't touch anything, they still work. Um, the first oven, I made the chamber too small so it would get hot in the back. 
like melted melted the tips off a couple of knives so it's been a process of like tweaking the design and like this oven has a removable top so if i need to change the coil i don't have to tear the whole oven apart i can just lift the top i unhook the thermocouple and lift the top right off the oven um all part of the learning process all part of that's why i built four of them so far so and like the first one the thermocouple was too close to the door so it would get super hot in the back also so that didn't help that was like a compound problem and so i had to move the thermocouple back to like the middle two-thirds of the way down the chamber point yeah yeah Trying different. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was all I was gonna say is it was two years ago, my first time going to Blade. I was talking to the Even Heat guys about coming out with just a tempering oven, you know, something that would be a little bit lower end and wouldn't need to go so hot. I think, I think if somebody could come up with one of those, and you probably could do it with yours. I'm assuming I've never built one. I have no idea how, but to me that would be that'd be awesome just to have one for for tempering. You know. Yeah. That, that would be easy, too, because you're not going to those extreme temps. You know what I mean? 2,000 degrees, when I open that fucking door, it's like the surface of the sun in there. Um, but that you can also, the benefit of building your own is, like Noah said, you can design the door a certain way. A lot of these factory ones, for some reason, the door just folds flat in front of the chamber. So then you're holding your hand and tongs over a 2,000 degree surface. You know what I mean? I would rather see them either like the ones that slide up or go to the side. Um, I'm yeah, sure they I specifically have a, did not buy one that folded open like that. I wonder why they do that. There has to be a purpose because I've seen a bunch of companies that that's that's how their doors open. Your even heat swings to the side, yes? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Same with mine. I really love the the Paragon Pros where it has the the. I don't even know what you'd call it. The Lamborghini door, you know, where it lifts up out of the way. I mean, I don't know. There's just something so cool about that. It's like, oh, I just want to spend the extra money just so I can get one of those. It's got the like blast door type deal. Yeah, it's just a cool yeah. factor when you when, when you open it, you're hot steel inside. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm I've just been falling around what I'm going to do if I keep getting these batches. Like I've been talking to the restaurant regularly. Whoa. And, uh, flea bag. like they want me to design an oyster knife for them. They want Ooh. a large, like hog splitter version of the mini cleavers I'm doing to hang on the wall. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. So I've been mulling around if I'm going to buy a bigger oven or build a bigger oven. Cause I want a deep oven. This year alone, I've probably turned down five or six brisket knives because they want a length I'm not capable of doing. Um, and that's just like money left on the table. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to build a sword for quite a while, and uh, I'm just going to have to heat treat it in the forge whenever I get around to that just because there's no way. Yeah. Even if I I'd, even if I had a large oven, like, am I going to have a, a long enough one for a freaking sword? No, no. Yeah, I'd be sweet to build a sword, man. I would definitely be down for that. I don't feel like I would ever sell them. I would just like have sh like shit that's chopped up all over my yard. Same. 
saying. No, I want to build one specifically, and I want to give it away to a specific person. So we'll see if it happens. I have a Pakistani katana, like one of them $20 ones you can win at the fair. You know what I mean? Like the, the cheapos. And I've literally like taken it to the scotch right on the grinder just so I can get a feel for grinding something that long. And mm-hmm. yeah, I want to build a sword someday. Well, if you wanted to build a sword, where do you think you would buy the steel for it? Um, probably Maritime Knife Supply. I think I would for probably sure. buy it from Maritime Knife Supply. Do we want to hear from uh, hear from Luke about that, that sponsor of ours? Yeah, we do. And then we can roll right into the Patreon spotlight. Sweet. And this week's Patreon spotlight is Driver Defense Knives. And that was not drawn randomly. I chose him because I accidentally left him off the Patreon list when I wrote it down. And I I feel like a dick. This is the apology. Yeah, I feel like a dick. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Luke's a way better ad guy than Chet was. Chet sucked. Um, but about about Maritime Knife Supply, like we go on about how much we love Lawrence and we love Maritime Knife Supply all the time. Um, and and honestly, guys, like that's just because it's true. Like we don't we don't have sponsors that we don't actually use um, or actually like. Like we wouldn't accept a sponsorship from somebody that whose product we didn't trust or who's had crappy service. Um, you know, some other podcasts have sponsors that have crappy service and take forever to ship things and things like that. And I don't want to name names, but, uh, but we only have the best sponsors on this show and Maritime Knife Supply and Lawrence Lake is an amazing dude. Um, I've ordered more stuff from him this week and the dude ships stuff so quickly. If he has questions about my order he shoots me a dm i mean he's freaking awesome so we really do love lawrence and we really do think that you should go support him because he's a maker just like us and uh it's all part of the community so he's all, he's he's also now the canadian distributor for broadback ironworks that's true yes i saw that so he has all their attachments their grinders and broadback didn't leave any they used to be a sponsor of this show. I don't know what happened. That was back before I was with the show. And um, they have like a flat disc attachment, a buffing wheel attachment, adjustable work rest, like adjustable, like fully adjustable. Move it out, slide it, tilt it, fucking anything you want to do. Um, he's also selling the full grinders kits with every attachment vfd motor ready to ready to bolt to your bench and go so and go over there recently on black friday he had all of that all of his tr maker stuff like he had all of that stuff on sale um and it was not small discounts when he was doing his black friday sale i don't know if he's planning on doing like a christmas sale or anything like that but 
if you guys are following Lawrence at, on, at Maritime Knife Supply, you'll hear about some of this stuff because there was some serious discounts that were to be had. And uh, yeah, just super great stuff from him. The Broadbeck is also the Moreco Platin. And the one feature about the Moreco Platin that I wish was a universal thing with grinder platins is when you're pivoting to the left side, oftentimes you'll hit the receiver tube before you can get to the amount of angle that you want on the belt. Like if you're using a flat platen to just clean out a radius or something like that. And it pisses me off so bad because you get a good flow going and then boom, you're against the receiver tube. Their mm-hmm. platen is offset by like four inches. So it could be more. I haven't seen one in person. But so that, you know, rectifies that issue. Yeah, I wish I had, I, I have, I have the broad back and I do wish I had that. The Moreco. It's one of those things I need to buy because everyone says how great it is. That's how you can tell attachments from them. I I didn't hear you. It broke. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, Do you have any other attachments from them? Yeah, actually I have their surface grinding attachment. That thing is awesome. Like, you know, doing some billets of Damascus to throw it on there. And, and then what else do I got? I've got, got the 14 inch contact wheel um really like that for doing some really deep hollow grinds and then i think their wheels serrated right yeah yep yeah and i think i, I like got the their... serrated wheels yeah i've yeah, got totally. the 10 oh do you it's a great wheel yeah. i like i like the fact that the the arms yeah the arms on them are aluminum so they're a little bit lighter nice all right, so there we go. So, do we want to do our uh, the the Patreons? Yeah. Got my list here. It's covered in G10 dust. Dude, Is I it everything a, in your shop right now? So bad, man. I I have this brand new laptop, and every time I grind something, I'm I'm coming over and like blowing the dust off it, and I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna oh. kill this thing. This is not good. I need to figure something out for the like electronics in here because I've got a TV and everything in here. So oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should get an air filtration system. It's, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> I I'm thinking I need one. I have one like I'm watching one of my Home Depot card. I'm like, mm, I just got to pull the trigger. One of the big when ones. But the patrons, we love you all. We got Donnie Dulovich, KnifeMaterial.at, Aru Bladeworks, Brigham Kindell, who just did a class with Steve Schwarzer. Fucking Brigham's awesome. out, Yeah, Brigham's out there mingling with all the big dogs. Good for you, Brigham. Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf, Richard Beck, Todd Harrington, Dennis Tyrell, Trox Claire Custom Cutlery, Zachary Sowell, Maritime Knife Supply, Noah Bloomberg, Crafty Man Forge, Brian Henningkamp at Tortuga Bladeworks, Jared at Echo Blades, Sourwood Creations, Bremner Built Knives, Snake Branch Knifeworks, Stormlight Forge, Timber Tiger Forge, Ira Housework, Maximus Knives, Jared Weaver at the Master of Metal Manipulation, B-Cone, and Driver Defense Knives. And this week's Patreon Spotlight is Driver Defense Knives. All right, so if you go on to Instagram, Driver Defense Knives, all one word, no spaces or punctuation. 
First thing I see is a beautiful chef knife with some really nice photos on it. I'm slow. He has the best swag. So if you're looking for other makers like hats, t-shirts, shit like that, hit up Dustin Driver at Driver Defense Knives. I have one of his shirts. His hat, when it's not cold out here, is my go-to uh, summer hat. It's this one right here. Driver Defense Knives. Nice. This so was the I, hat. I don't know why, but I wasn't following this guy. So, I mean, I am now, but uh, I've never seen any of his work before. This is some incredible stuff. It's really high-level stuff. He's only got 1,283 followers, so everybody should go give him, give him all the love. Um, grab some of his swag off him. Merch, whatever you want to call it. Um, Man, he makes some oh, awesome yeah. stuff. Jeez. He has a really nice surface grinder. 6x18 Parker Majestic Surface Grinder. I haven't gotten to that yet because I'm stuck looking at this folding karambit uh this thing looks amazing uh so he, he does a lot of looks like he does a lot of fixed blade karambits just like skeletonized real uh um minimalistic very clean very nice looking but then he's got this folding one and like a folding karambit is is kind of something that i've only seen like in a gas station that's like some cheap piece of crap. I think one of my coworkers actually has one and he asked me to sharpen it for him. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even going to bother. Like, no, that's not happening. This thing is amazing looking. It, it looks so freaking cool. <laughs> like that's amazing. So, uh, definitely check that out. Absolutely. He's got a lot of Q my going on. Yep. Some Baker but- Forge and tool. Who's this guy just, makes a lot of knives. Yeah, he does, man. He's pumping some stuff out. Got some KRs. Wow. Folder game is strong, dude. This is this is some impressive stuff. I can't believe I haven't seen this guy's work before. He is the man. So everybody go check out Dustin Driver at Driver Defense Knives. And I believe his website is driverdefenseknives.com. Yeah, I I saw that at the top. He's he's got this uh, he's got this dragon skin Damascus folder with a bone handle. And it is one of the nicest looking folders I've ever seen. And I follow I mean I follow a decent amount of makers that have some pretty sick folders, but this is Top notch. Well done, sir. Well done. That is that is gorgeous. Yeah, that thing is beautiful, man. It's so clean. It has 19 likes on the photo or on the oh, post. Lord. 19. It, it, I mean, that is some of the best work that I've seen on Instagram, and it has 19 likes. That is unbelievable. Gentlemen, you owe it to yourself to go follow Driver Defense Knives and scroll down till you find that knife and give it a like, please, please, for the love of God. That needs some recognition. For sure. All right. Well, there we go. Shout out to Driver Defense Knives and all of our patrons. We love you all and we appreciate it. We appreciate the support. It's it's just sort of a, a, a mental assist 
that people appreciate what we're doing and and want to support us like that. So we really truly appreciate it, and we love all you guys for it. So thank you very much. Absolutely. And oh. so just curious. <laughs> Uh, just curious, have you guys taken any classes? I have not. The only sort of what you might call formal instruction that I have had is online courses from uh, Jason Knight. So his Forge series is where I learned the majority of the things that I do. Um, and that was pretty early on. I'd say within the first year of me making knives was when I took that course and it just blew me away. I mean, I, my, my eyes just got so wide a couple different times. Um, and f- just because there's no local people to me that are doing any sort of, maybe not classes in general, but specifically like beginner style classes, you know, there's, um, Salem Straub is a couple miles north of me and I know he does classes on occasion, but I mean, we're talking, you've seen Salem's work, like they're advanced Damascus classes. They're not, you know, people learning how to forge for the first time or learning how to put handle scales on for the first time. So that forge series from Jason Knight was extremely instrumental in how I became a knife maker just because it was what was available to me. And I, I mentioned earlier, I have the attention span of a flea. Um, That course is geared towards people like me where it's just packed with information. It's not boring. I can actually sit and listen to it and watch it and and get so much out of it. Like it's very tactile. Like I learned how to hold a freaking hammer from Jason Knight on a video because I didn't know that I was doing it entirely wrong, you know? And so that's one of those things that you don't think that you don't, you, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. So um, if I had the opportunity to take classes, which hopefully I will in the future, I'll be able to travel and take some classes and I plan to. Um, but yeah, highly recommend that. I'm doing stock removal. So pretty much all of my learning has come through trial and error and YouTube. Um, I don't learn like a normal person. I, I don't know. Uh, I think the word is I'm referred to as what's called an autodidact where I, I have to teach myself. I can't learn from, like watching someone or not doing it. You know what I mean? Um, Autodidact. So. That's a fun word. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> I don't know why. I just tickled my brain just the right way. Yeah. yeah. Auto Autodidact. So what about you, Matt? Where did you learn from? I have no classes either. I'm same thing. I've YouTube is pretty much everything I've ever watched. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm really bad about like even reaching out to people and asking questions. Like I, I'm really bad about it. like if I have an idea in my head and instead of like reaching out to somebody that knows what they're doing, I'll literally mess something up like three or four times. Like I, I like, I like getting in there and trying it and saying, okay, this is, this didn't work. And plus too, I like, I know how busy people are. So like, it's, it's hard for me to reach out and say, Hey, and I will say though, like in the community, like most of the guys, if you reach out and you have a question they're they're going to help you. Um, but I do want to take some classes. Like it's, you know, to the point now where, I feel like I need to go and learn more. Like I'm, I'm not even close to where I want to be, you know, as a maker. And I, I went to blade twice now and I walk around and I see what guys are doing and I'm like, Oh shit. You know, you, you think you're doing a good job and then you go down there and you look around and you see these guys working. You're like, damn, I gotta, I gotta learn how to do that. You know, it's, 
that's just how I feel, you know? No, I completely yeah, no. agree. You, you reach that point where you kind of feel sort of a plateau and, and you want to find a way to get over that next hump. And I feel like in, in-person instruction would probably be one of the best ways to go about that for sure. Yeah, especially a hands-on type deal. You know, if you're anything like me, you have to touch it. You have to have it in your hands to learn it. And it has to be real, has to be tactile. Yeah, because realistically, realistically, you can only get so far on your own. You know, you have to learn from somebody who knows more than you at some point, Um, unless you're Dennis Tyrell. And then you can just be the best. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you're talking about YouTube videos. Have you watched Dennis Tyrell's YouTube videos? I have not. No, okay. Not. I so I can't watch YouTube videos. So all of you guys that are listening that are YouTubers, um, I'm sorry. I don't watch your videos. And that's not you. It's me. I can't watch YouTube videos. Um, Dennis has a way of creating a YouTube video that is very approachable. I was watching his, uh, his video on, uh, how to build a surface grinding attachment, because that's something that I sorely need in my shop. And I just haven't had the the mental capacity to shell out 700 to $1,100 for uh, a tool recently. Um, I probably should, but anyway, so I was watching his video. It is so concise and good and easily, I don't know, digestible. It's probably like, a, it sounds weird, but that's, that's what it is, you know? Um, and he makes the process very easy to understand and everything like that. So I'm going to be watching some more of his videos, even though I don't watch YouTube videos and I don't like watching YouTube videos. I'm going to, I'm going to do that because, um, as far as like gaining information and stuff, I mean, I think Dennis is the man and he has a surface grinding attachment that you can build for a very, very low cost. And he also sells the, the mag chucks. So the, the sliders and everything, you can buy those on Amazon, but actually the, the, the magnetic part of it is what's kind of difficult. If you, if you don't have a, a milling machine to cut those slots, to put your, your magnets in, it can be pretty difficult. And so he's actually selling those on his website and super reasonably priced. And it just takes that one thing out of the equation that might be the the difference between you being able to build it and not. So go you, check out I'm, Dennis Tyrell. Does his have it? Is that Chuck? So you can like turn it on and turn it off. Like the magnet part, do you know? No, no, it's they're permanent magnets. Permanent magnets. Okay. I, th- I think that's one thing with a lot of the surface grinding attachments is I think it's, I don't know if it's just hard to source a good one. Uh, most of them, I don't think do have that. So you can turn that on and off. Cause like with mine, I, with my surface grinding attachment, I actually take a piece of G10 and I tape it on there and I've got two holes in it. So like, because the magnets are strong, you know, you put a knife on there and you're trying to dig it off and stuff. So I just extended the G10 with two finger holes in it. So like when I'm done, I can pull it off of there because before, before, man, I'm not gonna lie. Like I lost parts of my knuckles and stuff because, you know, just, just smacks on there real quick. It's just, but that's why I was wondering about that part. Yeah, I've seen speaking people of, do that, that G10 trick before. That's pretty slick. Speaking of surface grinders, I got mine the other day. You got a surface grinder? Yeah, TR Maker one from Lawrence Lake at Maritime Knife Supply. Well, lucky you, because I went to look on there the other day and they were sold out. 
I th- maybe I got the last one. I think you probably did. <laughs> but the it reminded me because the first blade I went to attach to it, the magnetic chuck sucked the blade and my finger skin. Right to it. And I, I got a little blood blister. I was like, ow, <laughs> you bastard. But yeah, it reminds me also, I'm going to have Dennis make me a magnetic chuck for my drill press with a hole in it so I can just stink. Oh, sorry. Set a blade on there and drill it without having to worry about clamping or any of that shit. Very nice. That'll be slick. Mm. Yeah. But we went about over that in the Christmas episode that has not come out yet. That's true. This is a little teaser there for you guys. We got some little extra special content coming your mm. way soon. Yep. Full length, two hour long episode with, uh, the longest episode ever. It was our. It was long. It was literally like an hour and fifty something minutes. Mm. And since we're since we're teasing it, I'll just let you know that there is some exciting stuff on that episode, and you do not want to miss it. And it's going to be coming out soon. And there's some pretty amazing stuff that that we talk about on that episode that you are not going to want to miss. Yeah, big announcements from Mr. Dennis Tyrell. Let me check my calendar. It's coming out on Friday the 23rd. It's a Christmas miracle for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas. The special. Both, yeah, both that episode, audio, and the YouTube version have already been uploaded, scheduled to release on that day. So There you go, guys. Do we want to do a little bit of Florida Man action right now? Let's do Phoenix Abrasives and then roll right into Florida Man. Love it. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by PhoenixAbrasives.com, your one-stop abrasive shop. They stock all the abrasive belts you need in all sizes. They also offer knife-making kits, which have all the goods you need in one kit, as well as hand sanding and buffing materials. Go to PhoenixAbrasives.com and use the code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your order. Thanks, Luke. Hustle 10, it's a nice little discount there. Get you some free shipping, get you a little extra money off. Yeah. Put in the I value. Mean, you put in a good order and you get 10% off. That's, you know, three, 400 bucks. You get 40, 50 bucks off. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And if you're like me and you procrastinate until you have basically no belts left and you have to buy like $1,000 of belts at a time, that's 100 bucks off. I'm all out of wood belts. Like, oh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say that's that's who I use. I like Phoenix Abrasive. Working with Greg, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's a super cool dude. I'm all out of like uh, wood belts, like aluminum oxide, just the cheapos. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've been using my ceramics on handle material. I'm like, oh, this seems like such a waste. I feel uh, dirty doing this. Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, a, an aluminum oxide belt for wood is three dollars. A thirty-six grit red Ferrari ceramic belt's eight dollars. It's like, oh, uh huh, yeah. Mm. Let's roll right into Florida, man. You got a good one this week? I got a few good ones. Did you get that article I sent you? That had already been submitted. Had it? Oh, oh yeah. Did you get the one I sent over the other day? Boys and girls, I think so. 
Well, I'm not saying I'm not using it in this episode. If I did, I I must have saved it because uh, uh, that wouldn't make much sense to to have you guessing on one that you sent in. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to play. Is it Florida Man or Fraud? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to play everyone's favorite game with ridiculous headlines and... Chaos. Chaos in general. Um, this is the where in the world is Florida Man part of this uh, this game. So we're going to be guessing where this Florida man currently resides. Is he really in Florida or is he somewhere else in the country? Matt, I just remembered while that uh, little singer was playing. Uh, I do remember the one you sent me and that one was sent in by quite a few people. And uh, uh, I have to say, I apologize, but I'm rejecting it because uh, I don't think I don't think the ladies and ladies and gentlemen at home want to hear about that. Okay, so we're we're gonna just for you listeners at home. There are certain things that you send me, and I don't want to put them on the air. So this includes <laughs> this includes people being chopped up into suitcases. This includes cannibalism, and this also includes bestiality. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> those, are the, those are the rules so far I'll, i'm sure you're gonna make me come up with more yeah. of them but but those are my my three things so far was matt's about chopping people into suitcases no his was bestiality oh <laughs> <laughs> uh after we do this ones you want to read the one i sent you and we won't we won't guess where they're from we'll just read it because i'm pretty sure she's my dream girl oh if my she, gosh if she was a redhead that's my dream uh, girl. So the other thing that here's here's something else that we should we should state just right off the bat here. Uh, there are a number of images on the internet, and this is going to be shocking to some people. There are a number of images and even words on the internet that aren't entirely based in fact. And I'm sorry, I know, I know it's on the internet, so it has to be true. But there are, in fact, a few things that I've had sent in, including the thing that Ryan's talking about, that when you do 30 seconds worth of research, you find out that it's actually not real. So um, Doesn't just throwing matter. that out there, just throwing that out there, still send them to me because I'll use them for an episode where we're doing like fake headlines versus real headlines. So that's that's great. I still love the content and most of the time they're hilarious. So just wanted to let you all know that it's hard to believe, but not everything that you read on the internet is true. <laughs> All right. Our first one sent in by Aru Bladeworks. Man abducts scientist to make his dog immortal. John Wick is one of, if not the greatest dog defenders known to man. However, we now know about another individual who has risked everything to save the life of his dog indefinitely. Philip Joseph has decided that his dog should have eternal life because the loss of this loved one would be devastating. Wait a minute. Dog, whoa, no, nothing, nothing, nothing from you, Ryan. That's the article I sent <laughs> you. It's just a guy instead of a girl. Exactly. That was, a, okay. this is, a, this is what Ryan sent me. I actually, I think Aru sent me in the exact same screenshot that he sent me, but this is a real story. And that was a fake story. So that was like a fake mugshot or something like that. I don't know. So the actual story was a man who did this. So, oh, 
Anyways, so I sent I you. I sent you the fake news. You sent me the fake news. I think Aru sent me the fake news, but I found a real story that basically was the same thing based on it. Oh, uh, they got me because they put a hot chick's mugshot on it. Uh, hot, crazy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> we all know about the hot, crazy matrix and how it works. So, yeah, that's it's yeah. there. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, so so Philip Joseph had decided that his dog should have eternal life because the loss of his loved one would be devastating. He loves his dog too much and he can't let it die, he explained. All dog owners would love to never have to worry about their four-legged friend moving on to the afterlife, but Joseph has taken it to the next level. He is not trying to figure out how to immortalize his dog on his own. He doesn't understand Frankenstein's scientific formulas and the biological procedures necessary to accomplish this task, and Joseph is not the giving up type. The idea suddenly came to mind. Why not kidnap a scientist, says Joseph to himself while laughing diabolically. <laughs> so he kidnapped Ryan Lockhart, a doctor and scientist from the University of, you know, that place. Uh, one can only imagine what was going on in Ryan's mind at that point. No laboratory, no secret chemical formula to keep the dog alive forever. And a crazy guy holding him hostage, trying to figure out what his next move was going to be. The good thing is that they found the blank scientist before anything catastrophic occurred. This article was much longer and it had lots more details about how he was arrested and yada, 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 but you get the gist of it. Matt Ryan was, was this man who wanted his dog to live forever, a true Florida man or had Florida man migrated somewhere else in the country. And I think Florida man was in California on that one. (laughs) Okay. I don't. I don't think it was Florida. But maybe. Why do you it, say that? I don't know, because the article I sent you is from Montana. But the article missing, I sent missing. was, the article I sent was fake. I guess same headline. Well, the, the article you sent me actually was a Florida woman. It was Florida. Missing, it was a Florida woman. Yes, and that's oh. one of the reasons I had to tell you that this was a different story. So that you didn't think that it was the same. Oh. Because it still could be Florida or it could be somewhere else. Mm. It's not Montana, though, I'll tell you that much. I'll stick with the guest. We'll go California. All right. Both of you are saying California. That's Florida, man. No. <laughs> that is that is absolutely Florida. All right. Here we go. Um So, okay, so this one, you guys are going to immediately think one thing based on the story, and I just want you to keep your minds open, okay? Driver fined nearly $600 for driving with snow-covered windshield. State troopers fined a driver $553 and cited them for negligent driving for failing to clear the snow from their windshield. Trooper Catherine Weatherwax shared an image on Twitter of only a tiny portion of the windshield having been cleared. The rest was covered in several inches of snow and ice. The traffic stop happened on December 4 on State Route, blah, blah, blah. The driver was ticketed for negligent driving in the second degree. Trooper Weatherwax, Weatherwax, that's that's a name. Trooper Weatherwax went on to say that the car was reportedly driving erratically for at least five miles prior to the traffic stop. The driver claimed that the windshield wipers weren't working. Now, I saw the picture of this, uh, the company, the article, and, and I can tell you that the windshield wipers weren't going to do a thing. Like, at all. Like, strip out the gearbox? 
pretty well, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, if you turn this person them on, basically, they basically made a hole in this in the in their their windshield like the size of a dinner plate, and we're trying to look through that. Which obviously, if you've ever driven a vehicle, you know that you need a little bit more visibility to to drive properly. How could this be Florida if the car was covered in snow? Especially that I, much. I'm not telling you that, and I didn't say how much. I just told you that the windshield wipers weren't going to do anything, and that you needed to keep an open mind. That's Unless, all I'm telling you. Unless they were at like one of them birthday parties they do down there where they like put thousands of pounds of ice through a wood chipper. It makes they really snow. Do that? Yeah, they make they make like snow slides on hills and shit for kids. That's awesome. It'll it'll last love, a couple hours. You know? I love Florida even more now. <laughs> it's like um, a redneck snow machine. I love it. I'm going to go Florida. I'm going to go the conspiracy theorist in me wants me to have this be Florida because it doesn't make sense. If you cleaned it out, that would be like the world's biggest snow cone maker. That'd be so great. You can make giant snow cones. Sorry, I'm stuck on the wood chipper thing. (laughs) That would be be pretty awesome if you're in Florida. Mm. All right. Windshield covered. Snow and ice. Florida, not Florida. Honestly, based off of what you're saying, like there's a lot of dipshits around here that do that all the time when it snows. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick something different. That way, somebody gets it right. I'm gonna say New York. Okay, so we got one New York and one Florida, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Sticking with Florida. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that was Washington. Sorry. <laughs> I figured it had to be a trick. I'm like, this yeah. has to be a trick. If it's so obviously not Florida, it's a trick. I was wrong. But. So yeah, uh, I, I just because that was pretty local to me, so I just had to include it just because I thought it was hilarious. And uh, you know, there's no way that it could be Florida, so I had to throw you off somehow. An article like that hits home to me. That's a real issue here. Like sheets of ice coming off the roofs of cars. I had my windshield hit. Three years ago, fucking middle of a snowstorm, box truck coming on the interstate on the on-ramp, and the whole top of the truck was a sheet of ice. Landed right on top of my truck. Did it jack it up pretty bad, or what happened? No, I was lucky. It just scared the crap out of you? Yeah, just it shattered and went all over the road, but um, it happens often where it breaks whoever's getting hit's windshield and this crashes. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a real issue around here. That's why, you know, they got fined 600 bucks is because they really need to convince people, hey, this is a real safety issue. Like, it's not a joke. Like, you can mess stuff up. I wonder what the fine is for it here. Our fines are pretty steep. If you get caught even holding your cell phone while you're driving, it's a $500 fine. Yeah, we got that here, too. Uh... They do that in Ohio? Yeah, I don't know how much it is. It's the same thing. It's, I mean, I get it, but that's a, that's a hefty fine. Yes. All right. I got one more if you guys are uh, down for it. Sure. All right. This one is submitted by Neil Warren. The headline reads, Man jumps Burger King counter, threatens workers with pliers to get free food. Surveillance video shows. Police found Hubert Credit Jr. eating inside bathroom stall. A man threatened Burger King employees with a pair of pliers while jumping the counter and demanding free food on Friday, authorities said. Hubert Credit Jr. entered the fast food restaurant in 
blank, shortly after 5.30 and began stating he wanted free food from the workers, the department said. When the workers refused, Credit pulled a pair of pliers from his pocket and threatened them, according to the authorities. I'm going to pinch you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I didn't copy all of the article, but yeah, there was a spot in there where, where afterwards the police... The police came and the dude didn't even flee. He just went to the bathroom and started eating and they found him in there. So that, <laughs> that, that gives you any indication as to the intelligence of this, uh, this individual. Oh man. No <laughs> man involved. Yeah. Like uh, what kind of threat would you have to pitch out for people to give in with a pair of pliers? Like I'm going to pinch the fuck out of you, man. <laughs> give me that whopper. Yeah. Rip that um, mustache right off your face. I'm going Florida. That sounds very Florida-ish. I'm 100%. I, I'd say Florida, too. I agree with that big time. All right. Wow. Both doubling in. Florida, final answer? Mm-hmm. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is, Finally. in fact, Florida. <laughs> I've been sucking bad on these last few episodes, so it's good to get a W in there. There you go. Yeah, you had a little bit of a dry spell there. You've been you've been yeah. letting me uh, you've been letting me mess with your mind too much. I, I've been trying to create a confusing as confusing a situation as I can with each one, and it's been working for yeah. sure. Uh, 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 uh. Mm-hmm. All right, well there we go. I think Matt won that one. You got two corrects, yes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Woo woo woo. I so, promise uh, I'm not losing these on purpose, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, just curious, like, uh, it's probably way off topic, but like, what's what's your what's your guys' favorite thing to make as far as a knife? Chef knives. Chef knives. Yeah, I like big knives. I don't know why it's. Uh, you can't lie. It's much easier for me to grind a big knife than a small knife. I don't yeah, know why. I, Maybe it's because I have big hands. I'm not sure. That's an interesting question. I haven't really thought about that. Because I hear some guys say that they like grinding smaller knives better. Um, and it's just not the case with me. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I I like grinding bigger knives, too. It's it's just so, you know, if you're trying to get really nice grind lines and one little mess up, and then all of a sudden you're like, Ugh, that's not what I was going for. And you uh, you know, like everybody else, you got to switch it up and change your grind and go back and see in. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it's because bigger think. knives give you more leeway. Yeah. It's yeah. a larger canvas. It makes sense. Uh, I think I have to say for myself, it would just, it would really just be anything with Damascus because I like making mono steel stuff. Um, I like making big choppers that are all hand forged. That's a lot of fun. Um, but there's just something about forging layers of steel together and using the press and just the high that I get from forging in general. And then afterwards dipping it in the acid and and seeing how it came out. I think that's really probably my favorite aspect to it. So I'd have to just say pretty much anything with Damascus. It could be a chef knife. It could be a hunter, whatever. Um, that's what I like doing. What about you, Matt? I I like doing chef knives. Like I like my biggest sellers are hunting knives. Like that's I sell the most of. But 
I definitely love making Damascus. That's like the the raffle knife. Like I actually, I want to see it. Yeah. So I did. This is uh, three hundred layers of random, and then I did a layer fifteen and twenty, and then uh, ADC over here two, and then another fifteen and twenty, and then the top one. I honestly can't remember what that one was. I think it was ten eighty. But I don't, I don't get a lot of those orders because they're more of an expensive knife. So, like, with this, I was able to do something that I wanted to try. And I actually have a question that you guys might be able to help me with, and I, I don't know the answer. So, like, you know, after you forge out the billet with Damascus, I found sometimes, like, when I go, if I don't, I don't like to leave a forge finish with Damascus. Um, but, like, if I don't take a lot of it off for the grinder, I don't know if it's in my normalizing process, I'll get a, uh, it'll just be gray. Like I can't get the contrast. Is it, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, you ever had, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the real darkest etches I've ever gotten was with a coffee etch. So if I, if I wasn't satisfied with the ferric and how it was looking, I'd, mix up a piping hot fresh batch of instant coffee and just leave it in there until the, I leave it in until the coffee cools down and it makes a nice black etch, but I don't know how it would etch on Damascus. I've only done it with mono steel. Yeah. These I do that. That's that knife. I just showed you is coffee etch. It's just, I don't know. It's almost like if I grind deeper, it, if I leave it the way it is forge finish, the outer will be a really dark gray. You know what I mean? It, like it's, it's really muddy. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. something I'm doing incorrectly. Um, but if I grind away, you know, and I get down a little bit deeper inside, it'll, it'll etch and color real nice. Yeah. Get past the scale. So I'm actually having a hard time hearing you. Is Ryan, is he choppy on your end at all? Yeah. Okay. Could, would you mind repeating that question there, Matt? I wasn't really sure what, what exactly you were getting at there. Yeah, is this better? Turn I think up. it's your signal more than anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so after... I'll try it, and if not... So after I forge out a billet for my Damascus, and then I'll grind into it, if I don't grind real deep and I go to do an etch, it doesn't matter if it's coffee, if it's ferric acid, like the outer layer where I haven't ground into like a bevel, it, it keeps a... Uh, it only is like gray. Like I can't get any contrast. Like it's no matter how high I sand it up too. So it's almost like there's an outer layer that I need to remove. And I didn't know if there's something in my process I need to change. Hmm. Yeah. That's something I don't know if I've really come across before. Um, anytime I'm doing Damascus, I'm not leaving any sort of forged finish on there. So I'm usually grinding pretty, pretty solidly to make sure I get any, divots out or any, you know, any kind of, uh, forge finish. So I don't know if I'm just naturally grinding past that point or, or what, um, typically if you've got that sort of an issue, it would just be, you know, an issue with like a heat treat, like a spot that didn't get, uh, fully hardened or anything like that. Um, but being on the outside, you wouldn't really expect that because if you've got like a more shallow hardening steel, you would expect that to be on the innermost layer not on the outermost so that's that's kind of interesting i I don't know i haven't really come across that before 
I've I've seen it in mono steels where if I don't grind off the first layer, like the outside factory layer, um, it won't etch. It won't. Well, it will, but it won't etch for shit. It hmm. won't be any. It won't be anything as dark as the rest of it. Um, well, the other I'm, thing that occurs to me is that when you're forging, I mean that forge scale that comes off of there is pure carbon. Like that's the oxidization that's reacting with the carbon that's in the steel. And that's how you're you're losing some carbon. So it could be that the outer layer is actually somewhat void of carbon or less carbon content than the core has because it was exposed to that oxygen for longer. And so you lost some carbon out of that outer outer shell. Um, and that could be the reason, potentially. I had a piece of ADCRV2 a few months ago that had like an alloy bubble. And when I went to etch it, it was just one shiny bubble right on it. Really? Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. I haven't seen that before. No, that was the first time I'd seen it too. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know what caused it. Maybe the heat treat wasn't like perfect. Um, maybe I pulled them out too soon. I don't know. I'm not sure. I snapped one of them and it was perfect. So could just be a fluke. But we've been going an hour and 17 minutes. What do you say we wrap this up, boys? Absolutely. Matt, was there anything else you wanted to talk about while you're on the podcast? No, no, man. I just thank you guys for having me on. And uh, It pays us, you know, whatever you pay in. Um, to go towards like operating costs for the podcast and stuff like that. Um, the lowest you could, the lowest uh, tier we have is a dollar, five dollars. You can put in whatever you want. Um, Ten dollar tier, you get a sticker pack after three months, and the twenty five dollar tier, you get a t shirt after three months. And you get entered into win a knife that Ryan and I are making for all of you lovely people. So I'm going to be forging out a billet here the next time. Um, actually, once I get some some material from Lawrence from uh, Maritime Knife Supply, I'll be forging out a billet. And that's going to be sent over to Ryan. And as soon as he gets caught up on his crazy orders, he's going to grind that into a beautiful chef knife for you guys. And that's going to go to one lucky person who is our patron. So... Yep. We'll put all of our all of our patrons, regardless of how much they contribute, um, into a random generator, and that will go to one of you lovely people. So look for that pretty soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>